like for you to turn to the second chapter of the book of Philippians, a little epistle of joy in the New Testament, the only New Testament book that doesn't have the word sin in it. It rings with laughter and joy, my favorite New Testament book. The 19th verse of the second chapter of Philippians, the title of this sermon is, Let's Be a Difference Maker. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, cares about you. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. I believe that J.B. Phillips' translation has it, they all are wrapped up in their own interests. If you've got a living Bible, I think that translation is, they all worry about their own little plans. But you know of His proven worth, that He served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child, serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also shall be coming shortly. A young man graduated from college, and he, he joined a large firm in Chicago and became a kind of a junior executive, a vice president. He had terrible public relations. He was always in conflict with the people with whom he worked, and, and there was always controversy where he was. And so after a couple of years, his boss called him in the office one day, and they talked a little bit, and then his boss dropped the news he was going to be fired. And the young man went into a tirade. He became angry and abusive and arrogant. He reminded his boss of all of the things that he had contributed to the company and the innovations he had made. And and he told his boss that they were going to lose a lot of customers now that he was dismissed or fired. After his boss let him vent his spleen a little bit, he, he went over to a basin near his office and he put the plunger down all the way and filled it, filled it up with water. And he told the young man, come here a minute. He, so the young man went over. He'd kind of calmed down a little bit. And he, he said, I'd like for you to take your hand and plunge it all the way into the bottom of that basin. And the young man smirked, not knowing what he was about to do, but he, he put his hand in the water to the bottom, and he said, now remove it quickly. And so he took it out. And the boss said, now the hole you left in that water will be about like the hole you're going to leave now that you're gone in this company. And then the boss said with a kind of a tear in his eye because he was a compassionate man. He said, young man, you have tremendous potential. And the next five or ten years will be the, the turning point of your life. But I can tell you that you're never going to succeed until you learn how to get along with people. What kind, what size of a hole are you capable of creating? And what significant impact are you making on your world? And when you check out of here in a few years, what significant contribution have you made that will be sorely missed? This epistle was written by a 
fantastic difference maker. He made a gigantic crater-like hole in his world. And he's writing to the little church at Philippi, just a small little village in a Roman province. And he wants to go and be with those Christians in Philippi, but he's got a small problem. He's in prison in Rome. And so he says, I'm going to send another difference maker in my place. He's cut out of the same bolt of cloth as I am. He's made in the same mold as me. He's a difference maker. He's a person who is genuinely concerned about you and your welfare. There's not many like him, he said. In fact, he said, there's not very many people in the world who are really the kind of people that will make a significant difference upon their life. Now, I suppose that that all of us would like to think of ourselves as difference makers. And we'd like to believe that when we check out of here, that we would have a contribution that would be sorely missed. But the fact is, the people who really make a difference are few and far between. They're in the minority. They are the exception. The Apostle Paul is convinced that these kind of people do not grow on trees. There are very few that could be said of them. He makes a difference in his world. Now when they write about your life and they total it up at the end of your life, will somebody say of you, well, there's never really been anybody quite like him, quite like her. He made, she made a difference in my life. What the Apostle Paul is doing in this passage is describing for us the characteristics of difference makers. The first characteristic of a difference maker is that he is a person who has a passion for people. He has a passion for people. And so when you read about Timothy and about the Apostle Paul, the key to their life, the clue to their life is that they care about other people. They have a passion for people. Let me ask you a question. If I came up to your best friend or to your spouse and inquired about you and asked, what is the passion of his life? I mean, what makes you get out of the bed in the morning? What puts a spring in your step? What puts a sparkle in your eye? What fires you? What is the fire, the motivation of your life? Would they say of you, Well, that person, his passion for life is his business, is his job, is climbing the ladder, is the next sale he can can accomplish, golf. Or would they say about you, the passion of that person's life is people. He cares about people. Have you noticed that these Christmas letters have taken the place of Christmas cards? We get a lot of them, you know, people we've known across the years. They tell us about, you know, the past year, and we enjoy reading those, but occasionally we get one or two that, like the one we got a couple of years ago from some of our friends down in Texas, and they started out in January. January, we went to to South Texas in our airstream. February, you know, we went on a cruise. You should have been there. March, it's like a travel log. Man, we we went to Europe. We spent three months in Europe. And man, you just can't imagine the fun we had. Told all the places they went, etc., etc. And I'm reading that and I'm thinking to myself and almost saying to myself, so what? You know, 
I mean, what kind of a difference are you making in this world? Bill Hybels is the pastor of the Willow Creek Church in suburban Chicago. 10,000 people come every Sunday to the ministry of that church and to hear him preach. Wasn't always like that. Bill Hybels started into college. He, was, he majored in business. He wanted to be a businessman. Two years after college, he said, I was bored silly. So he took eight weeks trip down to South America, just traveling around. He said one night he was in this restaurant high above this hotel where he was staying in Rio de Janeiro. He said, I was sitting up there eating this gorgeous restaurant overlooking the Copacabana Beach, the jet-set capital of the world at that time. And he said, I'm thinking to myself as I'm dining with all the jet setters of the world, I'm thinking to myself, is this really meeting my needs? Is this really feeding my hunger? He said, there was an older couple sitting at the table next to him, and he said, I listened to their conversation. It went like this, man, it's all worth it now. All the work we've done, all the saving that we've done, man, it's worth it. Look at where we are tonight, sitting high above the Copacabana, all this work and hard work and savings paid off. Don't you know that we've been dreaming for this night all of our life? He said at that moment, terror swept over him, washed over him in waves. And he thought to himself, is this all there is to life? I mean, is this it? I mean, do you work and you save and you sweat in order that you can sit somewhere in a big restaurant overlooking a beach? Is that all there is to life? He said, I went back to my, motel, my hotel room, I got in on my knees, and I said, Lord, if this is all there is to life, I don't want to live. But if there's more to life than this, I want you to show me. He got up off his knees and packed his bags and came home. He re-entered college and became the founder and the pastor of the Willow Creek, uh, Willow Creek Church in suburban Chicago, where 10,000 people come every week, where he touches the lives of people. And that's the clue, that's the key. Not that he started some great megachurch, but that he is touching the lives of thousands of people. I think it would be well for us to understand this morning that the most significant thing you and I will ever do in this world will not be when we check off bunch of to-dos off our want list or, or a bunch of things off our want list. But the most significant thing that you may ever do in life will be how you interface with the people in your world. And so you stay after work when you're tired, you're ready to go home to listen to that colleague pour out his heart of pain. Or you spend a little time in that dorm room with that person who's homesick and lonely and discouraged, ready to go home, and you've got problems and lessons to take care of yourself. Or you take a little time and read to that four-year-old when you don't really have time to do it. Or you take care of an aging parent when they're driving you crazy. Or you write that note to a friend and give a little word of encouragement. Where you interface with people, that's where people make a difference. So Richard Hybron said that he took his, his kid one morning, Saturday morning, they loved to go down to the community airport and watch the airplanes. His kid loved airplanes. He said, we were eating breakfast in the restaurant, this community airport, just watching the planes come in and leave. And he said there was another man with his little kid playing around there. They decided they'd just put the tables together and let them get syrup all over everybody while they talked. 
And he said, I turned to this man I'd never met before, and I said, you, you come here on Saturday mornings often? He said, well, he said, not really. He said, see that building over there? He said, that used to be my building. I'm an architect. He said, see that plane out there? And he pointed to this beautiful Cessna twin-engine job sitting out there shining beautiful on the, on the runway. He said, that used to be my airplane. He said, then the recession hit and the bottom fell out and I lost everything. But he said, you know, in all of that I discovered that all these toys had come between me and my wife and our marriage was struggling. He said, all of these toys that I was giving all my energy and my time to was keeping me away from my kid. He said, I didn't even know my neighbors. I was too busy. He said, when God took all of this away, he said, I praise him because I've discovered where you're not supposed to say that you're obsessed with your job, but I'm absolutely obsessed with winning football games. There are two, some key ingredients for NFL head coaches. Number one, jettison all influences and experiences that don't have to do with winning. Johnson divorced his wife, Linda Kay, after taking the Cowboys job because they'd grown apart and because he didn't want family stuff getting in the way of the biggest job of his life. My nightmare, he said, is to sit at home three hours listening to couple coaches' wives making small talk. He doesn't even remember his son's birthdays. Not even, he doesn't even do Christmas. Look, Johnson said, his eyes pointing lasers. I prepared my entire life, 48 hours, 24 hours a day, 48 years, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year for 16 Sundays. This is how he feels. You cross him, you pose any threat to his winning, you attack his dream, quote, I'll crush you like a squirrel in the road. People don't realize what they're dealing with here. This is my life. What a sad, sad thing. The people who are really making a difference are the people who are concerned about people, have a passion for people. Second, they are people whose plan has a God focus to it. Their plan has a God focus. Now when you read this story, this, this epistle, and you know the story of Paul and Timothy, what you discover, what you know without question is, is that, that their life had a God focus to it. What they were doing was on the basis of their conviction that this is God's plan for my life. This is what God wants of my life. U.S. News and World Report not long, well, several months ago, told the story of a young jet pilot by the name of George. His name was George. He was shot down over the Pacific during World War II. As that plane catapulted in flames to the Pacific Ocean, they all seemed doomed. In fact, the other two on board were killed. George was spared. He was set adrift on the Pacific, drifting toward an island called, the name of which was Chichijima. Now the problem with it is, is that They'd already received word that the commander, the Japanese commander of that island, took no prisoners, killed everybody that set foot on the island. Just before he landed on the island, a, a United States submarine saved him. This is how he described the ordeal. 
I'll never forget that night in the Pacific. Such beauty. He said the stars were so bright. He said it was time to talk to God, to pray, to reflect, to look within myself and find answers. People in trouble often talk about foxhole religion where when they face death, they, they want to get right with God and everybody around them. But the exact opposite occurred for me. I'd already faced death, and for some reason, God had spared me. I had this deep sense of profound gratitude, a real sense of wonder. You know, sometimes when a disaster comes, people cry out, Why me, Lord? In the opposite way. I had a different question altogether. Why had I been spared? Why did God choose to allow me to live, the only one? What did God have in store for my future? Why am I still alive? The difference was that it made me think in greater terms, not what I want out of my life, but what is God's plan? What has God really done for me, and how have I responded to what God has done? That's exactly what I was asking God. You know who that was? That was George Bush. Can I ask you a question this morning? Listen to me. Are you convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have been born again? The wonder of the gospel is is that God has come into our sin in His perfection and has allowed us to live in that perfection. When we receive Jesus Christ into our life as Lord and Savior, He takes away our sin and our guilt and He imparts His righteousness to us. It's not that we are perfect, but we are allowed to live in that perfection. Are you absolutely certain that there's been a time where you have, where you have been born again? Don't allow a single hour to pass until you've done that. For that's where the God-focused life begins. It begins when a person in the initial encounter of faith gives his heart and life to Jesus Christ and opens that life up to the Lordship of Jesus. Somebody says, well, what does a God-focused life mean? What are you talking about? If you came up to me tomorrow and you said, Pastor, I want you to go to Dallas with me. i got a business trip over there. I'd like for you to go with me a couple of days. I might say to you, well, I have to check with my wife. I mean, I just can't go. That's, I'd have a wife-focused life. If you came up to me and said, would you like to take a trip? I've got an extra ticket for Europe, and we'll be over there a couple of weeks. Come on, we've got to know today. Got to leave this afternoon at 3 o'clock. I'd probably say to you, well, I have a job to do. I mean, I just can't leave my job. I have a job-focused life. If you came up to me and said, I want you to do this, I want you to go there, and I said to you, that's not in God's plan for my life. I'd have a God-focused life. Where do you see yourself five years from now? And what do you see yourself doing? Where's God in this plan? And whose blueprint are you working from? God has a marvelous plan for every life, for every college student, a marvelous blueprint He, he prepared in eternity past. Are you going to work off God's blueprint or somebody else's or your own? It's a wonderful thing, the discovery of life when you begin to Focus on God in your family and in your business and in your vocation and in your dreams. God-focused life. This is God's plan for me. A person who makes a difference is a person who has a passion for others 
a plan has a God focus. He's a person who's preoccupied with service. Now these marvelous words, read them again with me. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who would genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Listen. For they seek after their own interests, not those of Christ. But you know of His proven worth. He's talking about Timothy. And that, that's an interesting phrase there, not found often in the New Testament. His proven worth. It means worth that has stood the test. This is worth that's really worth. This is value that's really valuable. This is what really counts. His proven worth. This is His proven worth. That He served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, that he served like a child serving his father for the proven worth of any person. is not his line of credit, but how much service he does. It's interesting to see this in the context. For the theme of this book is serving. And the Apostle Paul uses Jesus as a model. He says, remember... Don't think about your own interests. Think about the interests of others. Just like Jesus when he had all of heaven and he laid it aside and he became a man and served even to the point of death. Service. And when you understand that these words come from a little epistle of joy that rings with laughter and sings with melody, you'll understand what he's saying, that the, that the, the life that's significant is the life of service, serving others. Amy Carmichael lived at the turn of this century in Victorian England. She was beautiful and bright and articulate. There were many who thought Amy Carmichael will change England because of her ability as, a, as an articulate speaker, her power. She fell in love with a man. He was a wonderful man. He proposed marriage. She turned him down. She felt the call of God upon her life. Operating off the blueprint of God, she set sail for, for India. And she served in India at the turn of this century for 53 years without a furlough. Her biography says that when she got to India, it was obvious, it seemed obvious what she would do. Because she was an articulate speaker and because she loved to travel, she'd just crisscross India bringing speeches and changing the course of history with her, her articulate speech. Something happened one day that changed all of her life. She saw a woman bring a baby to a, to a temple and offer this child less than three years old as a temple prostitute to be raised in the temple as a prostitute. She saved that child, rescued it, and there were others after it until one day she had to make this decision. Would she become this speaker crisscrossing India with, with these marvelous messages or would she become the mother of this large family of less than orphans? She chose the latter. She chose the path of selflessness and service. And when she died, she left a moon-sized crater in India that's never been filled. And young women walking with God who would have been a temple prostitute without her. And she wrote a little poem, Shadow and Coolness, 
cloud of my soul art thou to me. Lead on, Lord, lead on. I follow thee. What though the hot winds blow and the fierce heat beats up below, fountains of waters flow. I praise thee, Lord, I praise thee. Clearness, clearness and glory, Lord, art thou to me. Lead on, lead on, I follow thee. All through the moonless night, making its darkness bright, thou art my heavenly light. I praise thee, Lord, I praise thee. Shadow and sunshine art thou to me. Pillar of cloud and fire, I follow thee. What though the way seems long, in thee my heart is strong. Thou art my joy, thou art my song. I praise thee, Lord, I praise thee. And here is a man who turns down that promotion because he wants to spend more time with his kids. And he becomes the laughing stock of the coffee clutch. And here is a mother who decides she'll give up her career because she wants to be at home with her children. And they wonder why. And the Apostle Paul looked around him. Now remember, he is in the capital city of the Roman Empire where there are hundreds of Christians. And he looks around and says, I can't find anybody except Timothy to send who can make a difference. And I have to keep looking in the mirror every day young people, and I have to keep asking myself this question, what is there in my life, what toys to which I cling that I need to put away so I can make a difference? Would you pray with me? Our Father, what a thrilling day in which we live. While a world is being influenced, that we have an opportunity to influence the world. What an opportunity to be alive. And I pray, oh God, that you'll help us today as we sit in our at our vantage point and overlook the luxury of this life. Help us to see people who need the Lord. To see a campus that we've never seen before. A high school and junior high that we have never observed before where we see people who need the Lord. And God, help us today to find the plan you have for our life and not divert from that plan. God, bring to our life the joy of spending and being spent for others and for Jesus. 
This is my prayer in our Lord's dear name. Now look this way. Are there anybody, is there anyone here this morning who could say, Pastor, I know I've never been born again. There's not been a time in my life where I asked Jesus Christ to come in and be the Lord and Savior of my life. I want to do that. I want to begin the God-focused life today in this place. Or perhaps you need to come as a couple, wonderful couple in the early service came to say, you know, we feel led to put our life in this church. God has led us here. And I know that many of your college students and you're wondering how you, when you do that, well, as soon as God lays on your heart, this is a place where you can serve and be served. That's when you do it. Or maybe you just need to come this morning to say, you know, my life has been pretty well centered around me. I want to recommit myself to God's plan for my life. While we stand to sing, we ask you, invite you to come. On the first word, would you come?